Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars. We'll call this a listener Q&A episode. My dear co-pilot, co-host, and friend, Graham Goodwin, who's still fighting the ills of nature, but nonetheless yes. covered and called a Monza Weckety Weck race last weekend. And while I wasn't there to see IMSA at the track that I will always refer to as Mo Sport, better known today as Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, uh, I did observe the entire competition through televised means, Graham. So Ooh. you saw yours in person. I yes. saw mine through the good old TV. And we yes. got some questions from our dear listeners related to what we've done seeing. So why don't I say a quick thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com for all they do to support us with the podcast. And then why don't we get ripping and rolling here before, though, we dive straight mm. into questions. Uh, hey, we're recording Tuesday, and yeah. word on the street is we might get to see another one of them GTP slash hypercar type things here for the very first time in a couple of days. What yep. can you tell us about this? Uh, not a lot is the honest answer. So there's uh, the, it will be Thursday, and it will be, of course, the Lamborghini. It will race... Uh, both in the FI World Challenge Championship uh, and in the Imps Weather Sports Car Championship. Uh, that currently slated for an endurance program. Um, and we will get to see that car. And I'm not sure yet, but the rumor on the street is that we'll get to see that car running at the Golden Festival of Speed with uh, a reveal on Thursday of this week. So that's good news. We, we can't tell you much more about it. That's Whatever information is actually out there, we're not yet permitted to tell you. But uh, rumor, there's also we've heard rumors, you know, lots of rumors that it's yeah. a really nice looking thing. I haven't seen yes. images of it, but uh, there's there's rumors on those very same streets, Graham Goodwin, that it is a yes. good looking car. Can I also go a little bit farther on the rumors? Should I should I crack this door open that we've heard that they have gone the exact opposite direction as Peugeot? It's got two rear wings. And no underwing, no, no At floor. Least so, two. yeah, maybe three. So scissor doors. Yes. Uh, what else does it have? Uh, keyless, um, keyless uh, remote too, I believe. Yes. So, um, what else? Apple Pay. I believe they've set that up in the cockpit. So uh, whenever Damn. the thing needs refueling, all taken they care do of that, there. Do that from the comfort of the driver's seat. That's completely correct as well. Yes. But we, we're edging now into the kind of stuff we really shouldn't be revealing. This is for the reveal on Thursday, uh, where I'm certain you'll get to see the car, you'll get to hear what the car is called, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about the the programs no big surprises don't think on that front and the driver squads no big surprises at this stage on that front either uh so lots to um to look forward to we've already seen by the way within the last week the first public showing for yet another hypercar the asato freschini was at uh monza and had a couple of pretty spirited uh test runs in front of the 65,000 people that turned out for that race, Marshall. Um, and we had Jean-Carl Vinet and Olga Grief. Uh, I'm trying to remember which, was it, was it Morby Danny? I can't recall uh, who else was in the other car. One race car, one Pista. The Pista is the track day only car, which is, well, in some ways, hypercar light and in some ways, potentially hypercar heavy, which because of course, it doesn't need to be restricted. But uh, handsome-looking beast, you know, talking of good, good fights. We won't see that car race this year. Um, I believe we'll see the car at Bahrain on display and that it will uh, it will test in Bahrain after the, the WC event. So they're approaching it in absolutely the right way. And I think they've got hopes are high that uh, an entry request for a single car will be accepted. There are one or two people involved in the program that are talking a good fight about two. I'm not sure we're going to see that for the full season. Um, but uh, homologation at the end of October is the current uh, is the current uh, aiming point, and I think that's pretty smart. Uh, they don't have to rush the thing to the track. And as Peugeot found out, doing so with an RX8 really, I think, put them back a bit. But what a pleasure to see them back on form now. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to questions about that. 
a little bit later. There is one other headline today, and it's a sad one, MP, which is that uh, the Audi customer teams received today uh, a letter from the head of Audi Sport and the head of Audi Sport Customer Racing confirming the timeline for what is um, a very large wind-down of activities for Audi Sport Customer Racing. The good side is that they are continuing through 2024 with full app tracks support, engineering and part support for the, I think they said 600 or so cars that are still in use between GT2, GT3, GT4 and TCR. Uh, the sad news is that uh, after first quarter of 2024, they will be building no more sports racing cars um, and that uh, they will fulfill orders up until that point. But after that, I'm afraid, and for the time being, and subject to some other strategizing and planning that's going on, that's all she wrote after 15 years. 2009 it was when Audi Sport Customer Racing was established in the wake of unparalleled success uh, in their sports prototype years. And since then, we've got very used to the Audi R8 and its various iterations and the RS3 TCR sort of winning at will around the world and... You know, to all our friends at Audi Sport Customer Racing, we we hope there's a good pathway forward for you. They've been excellent colleagues in the paddocks and in the press rooms, and it is truly a sad day. Uh, you know, finding that that is going to wind down. There will still be Audi's racing, but it does feel like the beginning of the end. Yeah, oh uh, boy, not not a shocker, but nope. sad nonetheless. Yeah, um, all to do, by the way, all to do with the shift of um, policy for the parent company towards electrification, but in particular to do with the sports uh, side of the business. Of course, as has been said before, this is to do with the switch by 2026 to the Audi engine program that is coming forward. And I'll say nothing, their, their money, their choice. Um, I think they're making a massive mistake in giving up the market position they've actually got. They've got a course a problem. What do you do uh, to replace the now aging uh, R8 products? But I know there are a lot of people within that community, within Audi, that are keen to tell a good fighting story that there are other alternatives to just shutting the doors uh, for that. also means, by the way, a, a fair number of um, very talented uh, cust uh, um, customer racing factory drivers uh, will be down the road as well. So watch this space for what happens pretty rapidly now about them finding, I hope, gainful employment elsewhere. Should also mention Sports Car Newswise kicked off here about seven minutes ago, and you will hear me typing uh, for the next five or ten minutes. Reigning DPI champion, winner of last weekend's GTP race, at CTMP, along with co-driver Colin Brown, Tom Blomqvist will be making his mm -hmm. NTT IndyCar Series debut this weekend. Wow. After our friend Simon Pagano uh, went through checks, updates, and the standard IndyCar protocol for clearance to drive after that wicked crash. No fault of his own, brake no, failure was. related at Mid-Ohio. Wasn't cleared to race at Mid-Ohio, had... They've never officially said he had a concussion, but we can say that he definitely had concussion-like symptoms. Went for a checkup slash hopeful clearance this morning with IndyCar Medical and was not cleared. Um, okay. Happened to learn late last night that young Mr. Blomqvist, already in Canada and already a winner in Canada, yep. Uh, was asked to remain in good old Canada in the event that such a need arose. Uh, and indeed, he will be heading just a wee bit west from Mosport to Exhibition Place in downtown Toronto and will be making his IndyCar debut, substituting for Simon. Simon should be back two weeks from now uh, at Iowa, weekend after next, I should say. Uh, but yeah, so, and also, I don't think I'm, I'm revealing anything that is super new because I think I revealed it for the first time quite some time ago. But uh, while I don't 
believe Tom will be driving Elio Castro Neves's 06 Meyer Shank Racing IndyCar entry next season. I apologize. I don't believe Tom will be driving Simon's number 60 uh, Meyer Shank Racing Honda IndyCar next year. Uh, have been saying for quite some time Tom is expected to make a full time move to IndyCar with Shank in the 06, currently driven by. Elio Castroneves. So this will be a preview of sorts for young Tom. And excited for him, sad for Simon. Simon's also in a contract year, Graham. So uh, we're waiting to hear if he'll be retained or if uh, there could be a 100% changeover in drivers next year in IndyCar. And I wouldn't uh, put Tom's IMSA teammate, Colin Brown, totally out of the frame as a possibility for uh, that shift as well. So interesting times ahead. Indeed. And good luck to both of them. Um, to Tom with that. That's a steep hill to climb, isn't it? Coming straight in at Toronto. Um, and obviously to see one and hope uh, that prognosis is as good as you're telling us it is MP. Uh, but uh, yeah, not good when you hear that somebody's been through the mill, almost literally. And anything else that was in his way, that was a horrible, horrible chance. Uh, uh, we hope you're back soon. All right, let me fire some questions at you, and that is just a admitted excuse, so I can finish <laughs> the uh, the Pagano Blomkvist story, and I'll try and weigh in here uh, where necessary. Gustavo Bamba talking about some of the Cadillac and Porsche problems. Gustavo says, as a fan of Porsche, Graham, and watching other teams improve considerably, could their recurrent issues be a deal with a few jokers um, resolved with maybe a few fixes? Could we see how uh, a new LMDH car might be inbound from Porsche in particular? Says that 963 does not look good on track. Something Mm -hmm. is wrong. What are your opinions? Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, we've got now, uh, as of this weekend, four Porsche 963s in full-season competition now with the WEC. Um, we've had three races now for the Hertz Team Jota team, and they've led two of them. Uh, we've had one race at Monza this last weekend for the Proton Competition team, and they led that as well. Um not perhaps the most communicative of outfits, the Porsche Penske squad, in terms of the the way forward. Uh, that the the tittle tattle around the paddock is that the pretty good speed that is coming from the customer cars is not good news for them. It is seeing them somewhat exposed in terms of the progress that we've got every right to expect that have made from a pretty extensive pre-season testing process. And, of course, having had the advantage that they've been racing for the full season from the very start. Um, I don't entirely agree with Gustavo, but I know to what he refers in terms of the Porsche. It seems kind of sort of stuck in the middle somewhere. It doesn't seem to quite have the pace and the poise of the leading cars in the WC at the moment. It certainly isn't absolutely lost. Yeah, it's not the van wall. That's just, just hopelessly off the pace um but the the porsche sort of seems not quite to be there um it has flashes of speed it has flashes of brilliance we've seen some cracking racing from some of the porsche penske guys in the factory cars but they don't seem to be able to retain that form there's still some concerns about perhaps the way the car um uses the tire uh, through a stint a double stint Um, Do I think a new car would be incoming? I think that's unlikely. Um, Whether or not there might be some jokerage coming forward is is a different uh, kettle of fish. They are beginning to show better form. They were certainly better at Monza than I thought they were in the uh, pre-Le Mans races. Um, Going to be interesting to see what happens when we're on the road. It's obviously two races to go in the FI World Endurance Championship, both the flyway still to come at uh, Fuji and at uh, Bahrain. And rather oddly, uh, we're, a, we're a, well, on race day, we're 114 or 115 days into the season. 
and there's 117 days to go until we finish. Uh, so that's how front-loaded that uh, championship calendar was. And that, of course, when you're dealing with new uh, equipment, in the case of the WEC uh, uh, Porsche Penske Motorsport crew, a brand new crew as well, that's not great if what you're trying to bed in is you know, a, a good team working relationship with your new machinery. As you and I saw very vividly MP at the very first GTP uh, test and race uh, at uh, Daytona, it was far from error-free and far from issue-free for anybody. And I don't think we've got a right to expect any different for these guys. Yeah. I mean, the, the truth is we've been saying this, Gustavo, about the complexity of the 963 since it started running with other GTP slash LMDH cars. Our, our friend Nick Cahoot as well asks, you know, is there something fundamentally wrong with the 963 design? Um, uh, Apex Dream Cars asking if you could please shed some light on the issues that Porsche are having. Yep. Seem to be doing okay in IMSA, but a train wreck and whack. Um, there does seem, MP, there does seem to be a fundamental issue somewhere with that 963 that we are seeing those cars needing in, whether it's practice sessions or races, to stop and a power recycle way too often. It is a fundamental problem. We went to the TV on-air crew in FP1. Went, we went to watch from the first chicane. We went to watch the uh, the cars through a scary, And we'd not sat down for two minutes at the start of the session. And as the, I think it's number six car, came through, ground to a halt uh, at the exit just before Curva Grande. And uh, Laurence Venture, I think it was, uh, took some little while and got out of the car to execute a full control-alt-delete for that car and finally got the car rolling. Um, Steam Jota, steering wheel failure, the worst possible time for them. Uh, again, so that car with you know a full um, you know uh, power failure problem with the car. It's certainly glitchy. I'll give it that. As for its kind of handling characteristics, let's wait and see how they can bed that in. Um, the one thing I'd say about the the World Endurance Championship, we go to some very different circuits. And what's a, what's very apparent was very apparent at um, at Le Mans is cars that have been pretty much nowhere. I'm looking at you, Peugeot. All of a sudden, made sense as you know as we talked about before and after Le Mans, made sense at Le Mans. The Peugeot made sense again at Monza. The for, the um, uh, the Porsche, it's not in no man's land, but it's not at the front either. It's kind of desperately trying to hang on to the coattails of the leading group and maybe in its despair to get up to that pace that's where the problems are emerging they're pushing very hard and i'm not sure the car has quite got the package at the moment to do that comes into that that point i'm sure there'll be questions later in the show you know whether or not there needs to be a platform bop change i'm of the opinion that i'd like it explaining to me why we've not gone down that road rather than lobbying for it. Um, so I'd like to understand why we've not seen that happen yet, uh, because the LMDH cars do not seem as close as they could and should be to the Le Mans hypercars at this point. Um, but, yeah, I don't think we're at crisis yet, but neither was there any sign of Roger Penske turning cartwheels in pit road. We're... Why don't we close the Porsche topic here? we got some Cadillac to come, but why don't we close the Porsche topic with one that I know I've mentioned many times over the last six-plus months, Graham. If we think back to the early days of DPI, mm -hmm. we had the Cadillac that was outrageously fast. Its yep. setup window was really big. There was nothing particular particularly complex about the car it's not a criticism yeah. just saying it wasn't some mind-bending you know uh, trip into technology technological outer space um and it molly whopped everybody the yeah. nissan right the Liger jsp 217 whatever it was called um 
the Nissan had a lot of design issues, teething pains, all yep. kinds of problems, and it wasn't particularly fast because it had a really rough development and it went through multiple yep. rounds of improvement. Once that vehicle by Extreme Speed Motorsports uh, and Liger and Nissan to a, a smaller degree, once it got through that fight, well, hey, that car was pretty darn good. Won yep. itself a number of races. I don't know if I'd call it a Cadillac beater, but I think of the Porsche and go, well, this is in a weird place that doesn't really fit anything I've seen in a while with a major new chassis development in so far, Graham, that it certainly came out before everybody else. It certainly achieved yep. more testing miles by a outrageous number than any of uh, the other models. And yet when pitted against Cadillacs, Acuras, BMW, again, not quite there in terms of getting ahead of it. And I'm just talking over here in the IMSA side, but we saw very quickly that the Acura, which pretty darn high tech, uh, but not using any approaches to chassis design, suspension design, um, and whatnot, being kind of sort of question mark uh stupid fast the porsche though not so much maybe it could achieve a really strong single lap here or there graham right think about qualifying for the rolex 24 nick nick yep. tandy was on a flyer bit of an issue at the bus stop but um what we've seen and what we've heard and what we know to be a fact is the car is so complex from a chassis setup standpoint i don't look at the arrow and say oh my goodness this is you guys are crazy i look at it and go hey it's beautiful it's curvy it's all kinds of great stuff but nothing arrow wise jumps out graham as a ooh, i don't know about that everything i've heard is it's the suspension the suspending part where there are so many options front suspension in particular is a radical change from everything else that you will find in gtp slash hypercar um models right they've done one thing which again we've seen the car can be fast but they've gone away from using traditional spring-based dampers and torsion bars the front suspension is this kind of sort of abstract approach i believe the thought was hey we could do the same thing as everybody else, but then we could potentially be no better than anybody else, Graham. But let's aim higher and try something a little bit avant-garde and see where that gets us. And well, that, that I've makes not sense, heard that it's... It? Bearing in mind the, sh the chassis part is Multimatic and their core business is suspension. Yeah. So this is something where, as I keep hearing... Um, this is the area of struggle. And what's been interesting is taken outside of direct factory domain. Now that we have the JDC Miller Motorsports effort and the Hertz team, Jota, we've seen the customer teams without five times as many engineers and, and whatnot to try and crack this stuff. We have seen some of them uh, air towards simplicity. Yep, boy, we do have a trillion options. Uh, but how can we narrow this down and get to what we think are the couple options that might work best? Uh, only thing I can equate this to, or that comes to mind, Graham, for those of you who have multiple subscriptions to the various streaming solutions in the world, it's a for me at least and my wife graham it's somewhat of a new phenomenon or problem and that is when you're staring at netflix hulu yep. and uh, whatever you're sitting there crawling. going oh my god how do we and we end up spending a half hour just trying to choose something because there's a thousand choices in front of us yep, and absolutely. there are and half the time we're like 
you know, I kind of miss the old days where we didn't have all these options because it sure was easier to get to the thing we wanted ASAP. This is what comes to mind. Like this is the Porsche 963 is like having every streaming solution possible and being gridlocked, trying to find the thing that's, that you're really going to enjoy the most and you're second and third and fourth guessing yourself. So I don't know how that gets changed. Right. But I think just to, to put a bow on this, as I've understood, the factory team has been a little bit arm's length with uh, its customers so far in terms of here's all of our data. Look at everything you want. We're here to help in every capacity. I understand that's been there's been a pretty decent separation between church and state. I do wonder if uh, that might change. Because it seems like some of those who do not have the same dollars and the same vast personnel and engineering resources to comb through all these zillions of options, it seems like some of them, through necessity, Graham, have been finding some smoother, faster pathways to what works. And I'm not saying beating everybody else level of what works, but uh, last weekend at, at Mosport at CTMP was a pretty interesting thing to see that yellow 963 towards the end of the race running ahead of the factory Porsches. And uh, yeah, it was a real fight for uh, the Tandys and the Jaminas and the Campbells and the whomevers to try and get by uh, the young uh, young driver there. So yeah, wonder if they're going to open, open their approach a little bit and say, hey, customers, uh, what are you guys doing? Uh, well, that's one thing. We then get into Cadillac, and we've got a couple of questions here. James Counter, oh, excuse me, um, and Daniel Sorskill. Never heard of him. Who? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and Stephen Ellis, for that matter, with a variety of questions about Cadillac. James says, what's up with Cadillac? Seem to be underperforming compared to what the DPI era would have you expect. Is, that the, is it that the competitors are doing a better job, or is their package not quite there yet? I'll answer that in terms of work in a moment. Um, Daniel says uh, and moves towards the IMSA side of things is the zero one Chip Ganassi Cadillac Racing Cadillac accursed car it seems to be eating up the spares this year it is seemingly every round and Stephen says he went to CTMP saw the GTP cars for the first time it was incredible shout out to LMP3 for putting on a solid race after all the criticism his question he knows it hasn't all been their fault but the zero one Ganassi Caddy has been involved in quite a few big wrecks Anything, any reason to believe they could be making driver spots for next year? Talented duo, but they've spent as much time on wreckers as they have actually making passes. Uh, do you want me, uh, just a quick couple of thoughts about the WEX side of things. Yeah. They've had some bad luck. Uh, their race was pretty much ruined after some really good running uh, at Monza, which was, by the way, a very good race across the board. Um, and unfortunately, the timing of their stop meant that they had no choice to become in for emergency service. And frankly, it was pretty much over at that point. Uh, there was another fluffed uh, stop a little later for them. Uh, but I think without that, they could have been in the mix um, for the lower order on the podium. I, I repeat what I said before. I'd like to understand why we haven't seen a platform BOP change. Um, and again, I repeat, I am not saying it definitely needs it. I just need to understand why we haven't had one. Because at the moment, we do seem to have a pretty clear divide between the Mans hypercars, uh, and that field is, of course, deepening now with Peugeot beginning to come on song, and the LMDH uh, design cars. And, of course, there's more of those coming next year, three more makes of those cars uh, with Lamborghini, with uh, Alpine, and with BMW joining the WEC from next year. So I'd like to understand the reckoning behind that at this stage. And that'll be something I'll be chasing up with the those uh, oft-mentioned powers that be. Um, so I don't think it's it's all that awful uh, for Cadillac and the WEC. Um, what about IMSA? You you know, you watched that CT, CTMP race. I saw the, the, well, the luckless incident that befell the car at Watkins Glen where they were the unwitting victim of uh, the LMP3 car that seemed to think it was half as wide as it was between two uh, Lamborghinis and left the zero one with nowhere to go. But what went on at CTMP, Marshall? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things here. Our dear French fry Sebastian Bourdais 
This has not been an easy year for him with this car. He's mentioned many times the increase in weight and reduction in downforce just made uh, most GTP cars treacherous on cold tires, treacherous coming out of the pits. And they aren't the only ones who we've seen spin or otherwise crash. Uh, we had that, we've had that happen in testing across more than one manufacturer. The dynamics of the vehicle are one where, yeah, uh, knife edge stuff until the tires are up to temperature. Uh, Seb had a spin. Um, I forget exactly which session, but prior to the race, uh, know that he crashed turn one lap one at long beach just got in spun hit nose first uh, against the wall uh seb's had a couple of crashes here he just kind of got caught out by a gtd car i think not gtd pro but gtd car in the heading towards the tunnel final corner at watkins Glen and crashed you know um there was no contact but you then have the end of the race, just I don't know what Farfus was or wasn't thinking, uh, but just errantly, I can't believe it was intentional, knocked Renger off track and just hammered the 01 car. Ended the race under caution as a result. About five minutes ago is when that happened. Um, I know this. And I know that the question's about the 01 Ganassi and is it cursed specifically, but I can tell you that having watched quite a few IMSA races from trackside this year and also 24 Hours of Le Mans, there's a dynamic with the Cadillacs that is a little bit different than the other prototypes, Graham. I'm yep. not sure if it's a development thing and there's more headroom for them to find. But you and I have watched other prototypes, ones that have won races, be driven in a way where you go, that was pretty clean. That was pretty mm -hmm. tidy. I didn't see any oversteer. I didn't see any untidiness. It seems like the car is making easy speed. Over here on this side, seen the Acuras fall into that category, right? Um, yep. I'd say they're probably about the only car model over here that I would say, boy, that thing appears to have a little bit extra in hand. And whether it's race win by Marshank Racing or Wayne Taylor Racing and some of their runs to second place, just saying, the Acura seems to just be well-behaved and have speed aplenty. Cadillacs, whether I've watched them here in the States or at Le Mans, appear to have a need to be driven within an inch of their lives to get the same kind of lap time. And it's a joy to watch because, holy cow, Richard Westbrook or Scott Dixon or Pippo Durrani or whomever, wow, <laughs> if you love prototypes and you want to see them wrangled go to wherever cadillacs are competing and you will see drivers doing things that make us marvel at their unholy skills you don't see that i haven't seen that uh to anything close to the same degree of damn near combative uh, relationship between driver and car in the cockpit if i'm talking about seeing a toyota behave uh, Ferraris have looked terrible in terms of handling, but uh, at times, but they've made, they sure made easy speed at Le Mans, Graham. So just the underlying, overlying, whatever lying thing here to take home is this where the Porsche 963 is a huge seven level Star Trek uh, game of chess that is rarely uh, understood. Cadillac, I don't think, is a total mystery to its teams i do think that they're having i don't know if they're always finding the ultimate pace in it whether that's bop design development evolution to come can't say if there's one single thing behind all that graham but i can tell you that the 
being at maximum attack every second of every lap, which is what I've seen take place with the Cadillacs pretty much every time they've been on track, that's not a sustainable thing. When you're having to do that high wire act at all times, at some point in time, you're going to fall off the damn wire and crash. And that, to me, has been part of the Cadillac story through the first half year, half season of its life. Um, I do wonder if and what's ahead in terms of whether it's BOP or if there's more, there has to be more development on the manufacturer side to where today, whatever amount of speed they were able to generate last weekend, they can do that and better, but without their drivers having to get into a fist fight with the car for hours at a time to make it happen. Because we know some of their rivals, the rivals that are winning regularly, are not embroiled in that same fight with their cars. Yeah. Well, if we, if we shift on, by the way, uh, with CTMP, another point with involving, we've got to have one point to do with uh, BMW. There's a couple more, one from Lund Snyder and one from Daniel Selmer's girl. Lance says, Augusto Farfa seems to be struggling of late to put himself, uh, between putting himself in the wall at, the, at Watkins Glen and now stuffing the Cadillac in the wall, seemingly, seemingly unaware it existed. It, it's not the only driver, by the way, we've had this in questions. Is the temperature seat beginning to warm up? I'll come to a couple of points where you've had a dig at this one uh, on the two wider points. Daniel says... Um, do you think IMSA were correcting giving the 24 BMW a drive-through for unjustifiable risk when the GTP almost crashed into two pieces of heavy machinery, he says, dithering on the racing line during the last FCY pass-around? He says, hashtag me personally. Uh, he doesn't think the machinery should have been on the track at that time. Lots to unwrap there. I believe Philippe Eng was in the car when that happened. There was an earlier incident with Eng during the race as well that just made me think not very highly of his performances in this specific race. Flip to the other car, and Farfus wasn't demonstrating uh, the glory you would hope at Watkins Glen, crashing the car on the turn one, lap one, piercing the tub with a suspension, um, and then nerfing van de Zanda off track i look at the bmw m team rll and i believe daniel has the question here um or no i'm sorry it was lance talking about the temperature there um of the gtp teams this year graham yeah. we know that acura will be undergoing uh, some changes. They've got a second car coming to Andretti Autosport. Yep. Um, who's going to drive that? Look at the Cadillac team. Could there be an evolution with one or two drivers? Possibly. Hearing that there could be one change at Action Express. Um, looking at Penske, Porsche. I don't foresee any real changes there. If there is a change, I don't think it'd be a case of someone being dropped. You know, would they say, hey, person over in WEC, we're going to have you come over to IMSA next year? If there were a change, it'd be more along those lines and true actual, hey, we got to make some changes to make ourselves better. Um, the only team I look at in IMSA, Graham, and I go, yeah, I, I think there is a better version of, of this team in terms of the drivers um i do look at bmw m team rll and say connor DiFilippi, you are going nowhere you've been a a real bright spot this year i think nick yellowly as well as has stood up and impressed me mm -hmm. is he uh done deal in my book you know am i fully convinced he deserves a call back next year let's get through road atlanta let's get through petite lamar uh i'm there are suggestions that this is going to be a good long-term pairing but uh still want to do a little bit of hashtag wait and see uh mm -hmm. as my man graham goodwin likes to do that's the 25 car full-time drivers the 24 car um I think the world of Farfus, 
I just don't know if he and Philippe or Philip Eng, um, if they said, hey, we want you to make decisions on who's driving the 24 full-time next year, um, it would have two brand-new drivers. And whether, okay. oh, let me rephrase that. Is it brand-new, new to BMW? I don't know, but new to that car for sure. So I have seen little in that 24 car this season to make me go, wow, cannot touch this combo. Uh, Farfus, obviously, long-term BMW guy. But, yeah, knowing, Graham, that when we look across at some of the other drivers in GTP, right, if we're talking about GTD Pro, totally different conversation. But when mm-hmm. I am looking at the GTP lineups and a Nick Tandy, a Felipe Nazar, a Ricky Taylor, a and we can keep running down the list here, but mm-hmm. there are some monsters. Jam and A. Oh my goodness! Right? Um, hey, isn't he becoming a, a star for today and tomorrow? I don't know if I would say in a GTP car, lower downforce higher weight less stable less assurance giving yeah i'd look at this bmw american factory program and think there could easily be two full-time driver changes maybe three to make them better next year um yeah uh, i hate to say that i wish that wasn't what i saw but oh yeah Here's the, here's the thing. I mean, there's two points I want to make. One is to do with, it's a factor we haven't talked about in this show. We have talked about a number of incidents involving um, GTP and hypercars and, of course, the situation with the 963. And that issue, and it comes back in more or less every single conversation I have with a Porsche 963 driver, and there have been lots of them, visibility. Visibility is a problem in that car. Um, and it's always been a problem with prototype cars, but because the margins, these are not LMP1 hybrids. The, the kind of herring by slower traffic is significantly more marginal. So the extra weight of the cars, the reduced power of the cars, significantly more marginal. We are seeing, it seems, more side-to-side contact. We saw a very dramatic one indeed in the early stages of the Monza race when uh, Sir Buemi put the 777 Aston Martin hard into the wall. Um, by just, you know, believing he'd made the pass, and he simply hadn't. Uh, so visibility is one. On the driver front, there's a plus side here, which is it's been an awfully long, long time since we've had a situation on both sides of the pond where there have been in, uh, this many potential seats for really high-quality pro drivers, you know, paying seats from factories for awesome drivers. That's a really good thing. It's a good thing as well for those that have got the selection. The bad thing for them is that everybody wants to be there. And trust me, when I say everybody, I mean drivers from all sorts of parts of motorsport that are taking a look now and thinking this is all sorts of awesome. So that does mean that the kind of questions our listeners are asking, MP, are the kind of questions that everybody's asking. And you don't have to look very hard to see that there are a number of the factory teams, again, on both sides of the pond, that are just taking a close look um, with the option to slide talent they've got somewhere on their roster for something uh, to give them a bit of a... a, a, It would be remotely surprising to see some new names in the Winter Test programme in not one, not two, but many of the factory programmes. And that's before, by the way, we get into the driver selection for all the new cars that are going to be arriving in 2024. Will be interesting as well, Graham to see the links by which loyalty is demonstrated among some of the aforementioned manufacturers who've had folks on that factory um, employment line for quite some time and how loyalty might not be demonstrated. Because here, tell you this, if this was just DPI 2.0, Right. Hey, we made some slight revisions and blah, 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 but it's more or less the same formula as last. Mm-hmm. I don't think the manufacturers in question are having whatever issues we've discussed, nor do I think we are seeing some drivers who've 
spent most of their careers in GT cars being revealed as maybe not the world's finest prototype drivers with all that downforce and with the reduction in power and the bigger tires and all that man i'm not taking anything away from the heights of success seen with dpi but those cars if they were set up right just made the drivers feel like freaking superman not the case here and so without being bathed in all of that security and comfort this isn't easy so none of what i've said about ang or whomever else is meant to be a criticism of the person and their individual talent just what they're being asked to do to adapt to a very new type of racing new type of car that is making some of the best in the world again we'll come back to bourdais right uh Seb has looked a little ham-fisted at times with this GTP car. And if it's taxing him and, and pushing him to his limits to get the most out of it and hold on to it all times, um, I have complete sympathy for those who are completely new or relatively new to prototype racing and having to demonstrate their great skills with a car that is just, on average, wickedly difficult to operate compared to the previous formula so it's making graham and it will make manufacturers i i would think be more harsh in their decisions because if you're not getting it now the formula is not going to radically change next year or the year after and probably going to have to do a bit of a gong show and find some others and find who does click with this very unique formula um, I think I think the fa- the final word on it really MP is very simple. It's it's a bear pit and it's going to get to be a bigger, badder bear pit with things moving forward. And you know we've talked a lot about development of the car, development of the team that runs that car. The driver lineup is a key part of it. And actually, I'll be blunt, it's the easiest one to change. It's the easiest one to find out whether or not what might be perceived as a shortcoming can be solved with a change. And I think we're going to see some of that um, either in testing or full-time as we move forward, not just this year into next year, but in the two and three years to come. I think, I'm not saying there'll be a revolving door, and I hope there won't be, but there is big pressure now for these professional drivers. They have absolutely got to be right there right now and as error-free as they possibly can be. Or, of course, those that are there crunching the numbers would be looking to ascribe where did we fall short this week where we finished eighth and not third? And if it's mistakes that are bringing that to the fore uh, for the driver's seat, then I'm here to tell you it's a very harsh truth, but uh, that leaves the door open for some pretty easy decisions to be made. We still have plenty of questions in front of us. We're getting down towards the end of the show, though, Graham, and I feel like we need to do some GTing because we've done a lot of gt prototypey but not gt minus prototypey why don't we go to our pal stathis coco geo only i apologize says the aco graham tried to implement the quote premium kit for gt3s in 2024 didn't work um who knows tell this might not be the last attempt uh, who knows? How about 2027, for example? Will they try something similar for the WC to have different-looking cars? It's still an interesting thing that I know I don't understand where we're going to end up in terms of yeah. European endurance racing GT3s that aren't under Stefan Rattel's domain. So <laughs> could you crack this open for us? Well, it's an interesting one. I, I you know, through a variety of conversations come to the conclusion that this simply was not going to happen right up until a conversation with Stefan Vendel, who is the head of customer racing for Mercedes AMG. And, you know, amongst a number of questions, and that, that interview went up on Daily Sports Car today, do take a look, some really interesting stuff from Stefan about the length of life of the current platform, the AMG GT platform, as well as some questions about LMG T3. Here's the news. They know next to nothing. They know what we know, which is, at the moment, they believe it's to per manufacturer that the manufacturers of hypercore programs will get the favoured uh, nod. Um, there are a couple of other significant factors, one of which I'm not going to reveal on this show, 
at this point that could come into the mix. But they are not sure yet. What we do, what we what they specifically don't know is what are the performance criteria that are going to be laid uh, put in place for LMGT3. And it's that piece of information which they do not have that will determine whether or not some form of evolution premium kits upgrade might be required for uh, for one or more particular aspects of their car's performance. He says, look, it's just as it, it, it may well be that we don't. It may well be that it could be something very simple. But until we see those numbers, we don't know where we are. And that's before we get into a debate, by the way, as to whether or not they're going to get selected. That does strike me as we you know, power through July as being very late indeed. The, the good news, bad news thing here and why we are where we are is there's an open book at the moment on hypercar. Uh, the ACO, you know, will obviously take the hypercar, the, all the hypercars they can get. So we've got at the moment this potential entry for the WEC full season next year that could be somewhere between 18, 20, 22 more cars if every potential car uh, chooses to come. Of course, that places a massive restriction the difference between 18 hypercars and 24 hypercars on the number of available spaces for uh, LMGT3. I'm hearing a minimum of 14, so seven two-car entries. But it doesn't take a genius to realize that that means there are four or five pretty major brands that are potentially on the chopping block, and Mercedes-AMG are one of them. Where else shall we go here that interests you, brother? Uh, Trevor Gagola. Will there be additional okay. GT3 entries at Le Mans outside of the number of two per manufacturer? Yep. For mm -hmm. instance, if Pratt Miller wanted to bring a GT3 Corvette over, but TF Sport has two Corvettes already entered, would they be able to get on to that Le Mans entry list? Right, so it's a pretty simple one, this one. The answer to the first part of the question is yes, uh, and in a number of ways. So there will still be automatic uh, invitations to Le Mans. There will be fewer than we've seen in previous years. But the winning car from uh, the European Le Mans series in their LMGT3 class, the same for the Asian Le Mans series, and as we've seen before, a car from IMSA. So that's three that will definitely be invited. Uh, there will be a number of invitations available through the ACO's selection committee. Now, you would have to say that the first choice there would be hypercar manufacturers that want to bring an additional car, as we saw this year, but there's potential there for there to be additional GT3 cars. It will not be big numbers. You know, we are not talking about the, the likelihood and possibility of another 12. You know, we might be talking the, the likelihood and the possibility another two to four. Uh, so realistically, the core entry for Le Mans will be the full season WC entries, plus a handful of automatic invitations, plus the potential for a few more to come via the selection committee. Uh, that's, at this stage, what they wrote. The only way forward, by the way, on that, um, well, two possible way forward for GT3, one is that they invite fewer LMP2s. That does not seem to be uh, the way in which they're going to go. The other is that the ACO invest in extending the pit lane or the number of pit carriages at Le Mans, which potentially opens the door for another manufacturer or two uh, to uh, to come out and play. But uh, it is going to be very tough indeed, tougher than at any time in recent times for GT, uh, GT teams to make their way to the Le Mans 24 hours. And that's the irony of this switch to this far wider, far deeper GT3 pond, is it's coming at the time where there is an absolute flood of top-class entries. I, I think we'll be at 20 hypercars for the full season, or very close to it. Wow. And, and that, that leaves significantly fewer spaces for GT3s than I think some people are anticipating. Where else should we go here, brother? We're uh, getting close to an hour for the show. so uh, Let's have a quick look. Uh, Seb Evans says, uh, hi there, since Nico Ferroni is now part of the GM roster and he's so far having an amazing year in LMP3, that would be in the M2 Sports Car Championships, wouldn't it be a good move for GM to give him a test in the Cadillac MDH? I'd love to see the somewhat tall 
Argentinian. He's been amazing, not just by the way in EMSA, but uh, his performances in the now championship winning um, Corvette Racing WC squad. Two races uh, to go before the end of the year. No major class has ever been won that early in the FI World Insurance Championship. So congratulations to Corvette, to Ben Keating, to uh, Nick Ferroni, and to the astonishing this year, Nicky Katzberg. Don't know if, you, uh, uh, if we've had this, this question before, MP, but um, Nicky Katzberg has now won three 24-hour races this year, in class or overall, in three different cars. Plus... He's an Asian Le Mans Series champion in a fourth different car, and now he's an FIWC champion, again in a Corvette, as he was for uh, for uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours. An astonishing year, and we're already in July. I want to take full credit for his success and Ben's and Nico's. I, I think you should. Since I, I walked into Le Mans for my first day there from the parking lot with the three of them, all the way into the paddock. So I think... Nothing to do with the team or their skills as drivers. Just purely you. just because they walked alongside me. That's why all the good things have been happening. Here's, um, here's one thing, though. Lovely you, you've had that little bit of time with them. What fun they are. What, what an absolute joy it's been to have those three together in the paddock. Respect for the competition at every single turn. Uh, enjoying their racing. Absolutely pedal to the metal every single time that car has hit the track. Ben Keating needs no introduction. He's a superstar bronze driver. You know, we, we, we had just say superstar driver, right? Well, I wouldn't even qualify thing. him as a bronze. And, and I'm not, there that's are, not said as a criticism to you, Graham. That's just, no, no, no. This is a guy who has reached so far beyond classification. Um, yeah. yeah uh, he epitomizes sports car racing for me. Absolutely epitomizes it. I'll tell you th- this much, which is, the autograph session at Monza was absolutely packed. And you'd imagine that that would be the case. And of course, people were queuing at Ferrari and some of the other hypercar teams. But there were two other teams in particular that were drawing attention. One was the phenomenal that has been the Iron Dames in GTEM with the three girls uh, pedaling that car and just having I mean, horrible luck in the last couple of races. The other one was Corvette. And in particular, it's Ben. Ben is the draw. You know, there's a long queue to speak to, talk to, shake the hand off and get an autograph from Ben Keating. And that's because he approaches competition with absolutely the right spirit. If he if he wins or if he's on pole, you know, he is respectful of his competition. If he's not, you can almost guarantee that the first person to welcome the pole sitter out of the car is going to be Ben. And I love it. I abs- There's no downside to it. He's a joy to talk to. Uh, you know whether or not you're a trackside you know, fan, or whether or not you're part of that uh, that paddock family, and um, yeah, we're going to miss him. He will not be in the WC next year. He's made that very clear. He's looking for a full season for um, LMP2 and to try to win uh, the entry to Le Mans in LMP2 in IMSA racing next year. But boy, oh boy, if we had fun with him. Why don't you pick one question to close, and we will do that. Snucking here. Uh, let's have this one. There's a question up here from... It's sort of a, a link. It's Alex Warren and Damien Peachman. Why don't I... Daniel Summers go again. I'll read those to yep. you, and I love it when folks specifically cut me out. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex says, hi, Graham. Do you think it's possible that Glickenhaus will call it a day on their WC project to focus on some of their other motorsports projects? I've heard uh, some stories saying that they could do it with a bit more money. They could do with a bit more money as well. And Damien says, would it be better for buy Collis to buy a customer car instead of developing their own car? I mean, did we just come up with a solution here of... Uh, by Glickenhaus? I don't know, uh, but tell us things. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, let's talk about uh, Glickenhaus. Ran as high as second uh, at Monza. Car's still got speed. Uh, they've had three um, appearances at Le Mans 24 hours, six cars, of two, uh, three times two, every time have finished, and no car that they've ever entered at Le Mans has finished any lower than sixth. That's astonishing, okay? What do I think? I think 
we're getting to the stage where the level of competition in hypercar is outgrowing uh, the uh, the ability and willingness of Jim and his family to continue to fund this. His, uh, his line on this has been pretty standard for the last year or two when I've been talking to him, which is we are talking to people. We are talking to people about potential for sponsorship to move forward. We need that sponsorship in terms of the running costs, but more particularly the development costs, because clearly a factory team coming in, going head-to-head with the likes of Toyota or Ferrari or Porsche or Porsche, uh, know they're in a fight. That's that's a, that's a battle that's difficult to win when you're funding it from your own money. I hope we hear in the next couple of weeks that the 708 car is on the boat uh, for Fuji and that we'll see them for the, the last two races of the season. I fear, with or without them being on the boat for Fuji and Bahrain, that might be the last we see of Jim Glickenhouse. And if it is, then we need to stand up and give him the, 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 the correct round of applause for his efforts in bringing his beautiful cars to uh, the WEC for giving us something to talk about, cheer on uh, for the first couple of years of this formula and for, frankly, going out there, kicking ass and taking names uh, during that period of time. Then we move on to the Van Wall. So it is an enigma and I don't want to be just scathingly critical of this. The upside, the Van Wall finished the race for the first time this season uh, at Monza and uh, uh, was was indeed, I think, as as, um, as Daniel says, overtaken by the Peugeot that spent 17 minutes in the garage on the very last lap. The downside is that the car, with about 100 horsepower more, with better aero, better tyres, um, and a number of things in the sporting regulations which gift them an advantage, finished, I think, ninth in LMP2, effectively. Um, they didn't have the pace. I... I don't know what the problem with the car was. There was either a problem with the car that was keeping on pit lane a long time or the pit stops were terrible. But the pit stops were middle to late in the race at about two minutes when it really should have been a maximum of about a minute and 20. So they were gifting laps to the rest of the opposition. There seems to me to be something fundamentally wrong with that car. Um, We're hearing from sources within the team. They can't run... Uh, the car at the maximum power allowed by the BOP, which, bearing in mind the power plant is the 4.5-litre Gibson engine, seems utterly extraordinary. Sounds great. Um, yeah. We know they've got issues around cooling. They've had issues with reliability. We know they've had issues with braking. Uh, we heard from Colin Collis himself at the press conference at Portimao Round 2 that he was concerned about the... Um, uh, the performance of the entire team. And I think there he was pointing to the people on the pit wall and the people in the garage. Uh, I'm sure they were delighted to hear that. Uh, we then had the debacle with um, Jacques Villeneuve, and I've heard uh, another inside version of what went on for that, and it does not reflect well on the team owner. We, we won't get into um, the fact that every sticker that says Van Wall said Van Wall on the car has disappeared. Um, so the issues that were written about pre-season are clearly not gone away i think we have to get to the stage at some point where the issue has to land at one door and one door only and it's the door that's got colin collis's name on it and would i at this stage uh, be uh, saying that you know they should be a prime contender for a customer car the answer is no is the honest answer they've got to prove that they've got the package beyond the car um to be a credible force here. I'd like to see how well they did with it running a P2 car. That would be a pretty uh, eye-opening one. But for me, increasingly looking like that's going to be an easy one. If you're, if you're scrambling around and making a decision, do we invite, insert name of multinational GT manufacturer uh, for a place in the WEC, or do we take every single um, hypercar we can get I think at the moment the performance is making it easier and easier for uh, Colin and Co to be told maybe you need to go and develop and ask ask whether or not you want to come back for twenty five. Forgetting not forgetting by the way, MP that car had a year of testing 
because it didn't get in the first year. It, they had the opportunity to test that car for a year before it came back in 2023. At the moment, it's it's not been great. Brother, that car um, is from I don't 2010. Let's just be honest. Pardon? Let's just be honest. The van wall, don't call it a van wall. That thing's like 12 or 13 years old. I know it's got some new well, bodywork on it, but I mean... Uh, it's, it's a simple car. You know, we've talked throughout this show about issues for Cadillac, issues for Porsche. You know, we didn't get into Peugeot. They've had, they've had a, a great couple of runs here. This is effectively a standard carbon fiber chassis with pretty simple aerodynamics because that's what the, the hypercar formula encourages with spec tires, okay, and a very simple uh, engine and powertrain compared to the other cars and still they can't get this car to the end at any kind of reasonable pace. There's a point when you've got to ask the question, should that car be in the World Championship? There's no other car in any class that is as far off the pace as that car in the WC. Not one. No matter how uh, off the pace some of the gentleman drivers might be in GTE-AM, they are not finishing as far down the order as that car is in its class it's the only car that's finishing out of place. And I think there's a point where maybe someone needs to make a hard decision. And I think that decision's a pretty simple one. You know, I'm sitting down talking to Mercedes-Benz, to McLaren, to Ford, to, you know, to Audi, uh, to Honda, all of whom, are, you know, have got customers lining up and wanting to bring solid GT entries to the FI World Endurance Championship. And they're waiting to see whether or not a car that has finished one race and finished that one race at the bottom of LMP2 is going to be given an entry next year. Mm. I'll wait to see what that, that decision is with interest. There we go. Graham Goodwin, take us home. Well, uh, with apologies for the rather echoey background, this is a couple of days uh, up in the Alps with me and my buddies between uh, Monza and Paul Ricard for the uh, European Le Mans series round two and only round two. Um, this coming weekend. Um, I want to thank everybody that sends in questions again. And apologies, we've not got through that many of them, but there will be time as we move into a summer period with a little less racing to, to do more of this. I want to thank Daniel Summerskill for very rapidly turning around the questions this week. And of course, we always thank Cooper Tires and Justice Brothers and Toronto Motorsport Cars, uh, .com, sorry, for their continuing backing for the Marshall Proof podcast. Toronto Motorsports would be great. I think we could get... Like, Wouldn't that be great? Wait, um, the, the heck with, like, stickers. We could get, like, cars ooh. given to us if that was a sponsor. That would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, thanks to you too, Marshall. It's been a busy week, I know, for you, uh, coming out of uh, busy racing weekends and lots more to come. Um we will be back next week, and I'm sure it will be with a question-led episode. By then, hopefully, my cough has gone away. Uh, happily, it's not been too much of an interruption during this show. Uh, he has been Marshall Pruitt. I have been and will remain Graham Goodwin. This has been the Weekend Sports Cars podcast, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast family, and we will speak to you next week.